Saints of God, please stand for the reading of God's Word. You'll see that the sermon today will be from Leviticus 18. I've interrupted uh, preaching through Acts um, to share this message today, and you'll see why as we go through the course of the sermon. I'll tell you ahead of time, this is a hard sermon to preach. It's been hard preparing it, and I don't know if you've seen my face, but it has been heavy on me because of the preparation. Um, may, God, may God bless us as we go through this together. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible word. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover. For theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So what is your response when you see the people in our generation rejecting God's law? When you see the church rejecting God's law, what, what should our response be? What should our response be? Today, we will be examining this question in light of Leviticus 18 and other scriptures. 
especially in regards to God's law governing the sanctity of human sexuality and the sanctity of human life. Did you know that in America today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, falling annually on the Sunday prior to January 22nd, the infamous date upon which Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. In addition, today is the day chosen by faithful pastors in Canada to preach on biblical human sexuality in response to a new Canadian law that just took effect that attacks God, His Word, His people, and His pastors. It's called C4. And C4 is a law specifically prohibiting what has been termed conversion therapy. And this could outlaw biblical teaching, preaching, and counseling designed to help homosexuals, transgenders, and others caught in such sins to repent, to believe in Christ, to be free, and to be truly blessed. It's conceivable that this sermon I'm preaching right now could get me thrown into prison for up to five years in Canada. It's unsure how this will work out. There are charter rights in Canada that this law appears to directly violate. So it's unclear how it's going to work out in the courts. But according to the law that was just passed unanimously by the Canadian legislature, that's the status in Canada as of last Sunday. What are some biblical responses to the things that uh, kind of come together on this Sunday? Let's look to the scriptures. Here's some biblical responses. David wept and wept as he considered the world around him. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. That's what he said. David saw men disregarding God's law and his response was to cry before God. In addition, David's zeal for God's holiness was stirred up when his enemies ignored God's law. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Ezra was heartbroken as he cried out to God regarding Israel's sin. Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God. What about Nehemiah? He was deeply moved and took decisive action when he saw God's law being spurned. And it grieved me bitterly, says Nehemiah. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. What about our Lord? You know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem as he considered the coming total destruction of that lawless city. Luke 19, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So today, as we consider together the public and the civil and the ecclesiastical disregard for God's law in our culture, how will we respond? Will we be appropriately moved by God's word and God's spirit? I'll tell you, it will not be pleasant for you to be moved in this fashion. Because that's what we want to do. We want to turn our eyes away from these things. I'm going to lay things before you today that I don't want to say. That the children will not understand. That are not things to bring up in public. But we have to hear these things. So don't avert your eyes. See, that's the temptation. Will you avert your eyes? Will you deny the reality of the world in which we live and therefore shield your heart and embrace some kind of fantasy about the world that we live in and allow apathy to persist in our souls? Or can we become like these weeping prophets? Can we become like Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations? May God bless us to this end. Today I will seek to persuade you 
that we should be at least as disturbed as the, the land is. Now that may sound odd, but we'll, you'll see what I'm getting at. And that this deep disgust over lawlessness, that it flows to us, God's people, from God's own heart towards lawlessness. Three times in Leviticus 18, God references the land vomiting out the people who engage in abominable lawlessness. So it seems to me that if if we could hear the land of America speaking, and this is the title of the sermon, the land would be saying, you make me sick. You make me sick, is what the land would be saying. And it, it appears that the nausea that this land is experiencing from these things that God's word describes make the land want to vomit. But this nausea is mounting and churning. It does not appear to be improving. And apart from miraculous, real, God-wrought outpouring of repentance, which we pray for every Sunday, don't we? That's why we put it in our liturgy for what, guys? Over 10 years now, we've been crying out to God. But are, we, but are we moved? Do we understand? Apart from this, it appears as though that we're on the way to a seismic retching and writhing of God's wrath that will expel these abominations and those who embrace them. This is what we see in Scripture time and time again. And it's what we've seen in history as well. And most Americans do not understand what the situation is that we are in and how serious this is for our land. May God deliver us from that and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand the status that we're in. And there's many other forms of lawlessness that we could discuss. We're just looking at these two today. Next, brothers and sisters, God gives us, we'll see in verse 5, God gives us his law for our good, that we may know him, love him, serve him, and experience the joys of his design for our lives. So God's law is given to us because he loves us, to show us the way of love. Listen to the scriptures again. Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. What happened to Egypt? Death. What happened to the land of Canaan? Death. What happens to any land that spurns and rejects God's laws? Death is what comes. God's law shows us the path of life. You see, those who are opposed to God's law will often claim the opposite. They will mock God's law. They will claim that the law of God is an attack on humanity, an offense to human freedom, and an expression of intolerant hatred. That is what we will be told about the word of God. And they are deceived. In this bill, C4, the preamble speaks of the word of God as a myth, directly (coughs) spurning the hundreds, thousands of years of over, over a thousand years of tradition based on the word of God as the foundation for their law. <clears throat> so these folks are deceived and, and let's not allow their shaming to silence us. One of the key things we're looking at in the book of Acts is the need for boldness. And a world has been created that pours shame on those who speak God's word those who believe God's word, and you will be tempted to be silent in the face of these threats. Going on. But what you can say, 
Let me finish. Is, oh, but God's given us his law because he loves us and because he designed us and he made us. And he, of all, our creator, who loves us and sent his son to die for us, he knows best. He knows best. And if we follow him, we will live and be blessed. So first, in terms of this connection here, I want us to see the relationship between sexual perversion and the murder of babies. I want us to see the connection between sexual sin and the murder of babies. Verse 21, You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, why would this text be present in Leviticus 18, a text all about sexual sin? This is, verse 21, this is a text about violent crime. This is not a text about sexual sin, but it's right here in the middle of it. I think it's worth noting that the Lord places this commandment immediately after the prohibitions against sexual sins that have the potential for pregnancy. Follow that reasoning there. Prior to this, in verse 21, God gives prohibitions against incest, unclean sexual habits, and adultery, all of which have the potential to lead to pregnancy. Those which come after this, we see, do not have the potential to lead to pregnancy. Whenever men ignore God's law regarding sexuality, undesired pregnancies will occur, and the murder of babies will ensue as a practical necessity to make up for their sexual sins. I think many, or maybe even most of us, I would say, have stood together outside the abortion mill, haven't we? And we know that mass murder is occurring inside those doors five days per week. We've stood down there, we've pleaded with these women. But, you know, that's not all that we see. If you stood there, that's not the only sin that you see. All forms of lawlessness are on display there, and a lot of times it doesn't take but just a couple of hours to see all ten commandments broken, and, and the, the, the experience is if there were any more commandments, they'd find a way to break, the, break those two. Blasphemy, I've seen it. Profanity, I've seen it. Hatred towards God and His law, I've seen it. Violence, pistols have been drawn. Threats have been made with guns against us. Uh, there's fornication on display. Adultery uh, is celebrated. Uh, there's hatred of marriage on display. There's constant lying and deception taking place. There's obvious covetousness. There's theft taking place. There's violate, violations of God's commandments regarding sexuality rarely occur alone. And we could probably say the same thing about other commandments. If you're seeing rampant violations of any of God's commandments in the life of any individual or any place, it's likely they're ignoring all of God's laws. What occurred in 1973, if we step back and think about it, therefore, what occurred in 1973 with Roe v. Wade was the inevitable foul fruit of a nation that had already embraced lawlessness, sexual lawlessness, and that did not want to bear the consequences that go along with that. Get pregnant because of sexual immorality? No problem. Kill the baby. Don't want to stop with the incest, sexual abuse, fornication, and adultery? Because of pregnancy concerns? No worries. We can kill the baby inside the womb. If your birth control doesn't work. This is the path that connects these two sins. There's others, but this is the most obvious practical reason why abortion Why killing babies is so important to this culture. There was a White House proclamation in January of 2021 during the Trump administration. Every human life is a gift to the world. Whether born or unborn, young or old, healthy or sick, every person is made in the holy image of God. The Almighty Creator gives unique talents, beautiful dreams, and a great purpose to every person. On National Sanctity of Human Life Day, we celebrate the wonder of human existence and renew our resolve to build a culture of life where every person of every age is protected, valued, and cherished. 
This month, we mark nearly 50 years since the United States Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision. This constitutionally flawed ruling overturned state laws that banned abortion and has resulted in the loss of more than 50 million innocent lives. But strong mothers, courageous students, and incredible community members and people of faith are leading a powerful movement to awaken America's conscience and restore the belief that every life is worthy of respect, protection, and care. So there's a battle underway in America to be a part of receiving, crying out for receiving and expressing God's mercy in regards to this, this crushing topic. So here are the key truths when it comes to understanding biblical teaching regarding the sanctity of human life. These are basic biblical truths. Every human being is made by God in His image, and so every human being is endued with dignity of divine origin. To attack a human being, an image bearer of God, is to attack God Himself. Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As we pass by this text, please note that both man and woman are created by God in his image. God made man. God made woman. God is the one that determines at the moment of your conception whether you are a man or whether you are a woman. It is not a choice for you to make. It is a choice that God has made already. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you and seeking to bring terrible confusion into your soul. This transgenderism is laughably, laughably wrong. Um, it's... It's, you know, this is the kind of thing that's being uh, likely outlawed by this Canadian law. And there's, there's movements afoot in America to do the same thing. The scriptures make it very clear that God determines at the moment of your creation whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. Note also here how fruitfulness of the womb is associated with being made in God's image. God's image bearers are called to not only cherish and protect others made in God's image, others already on the earth, but also as image bearers, we are called to participate in bringing new image bearers to the earth to honor God and to do His will. Image bearers of God protect other image bearers and rejoice when new image bearers come into the earth. That's what we do. So every human being is made by God in His image. And at conception, God determines whether you are a boy or a girl. And that is an unchangeable reality about your being. Next, brothers and sisters, saints of God, human life begins inside the womb. At the moment of conception, this is a biblical teaching and a scientific reality. Just a few scriptures Psalm 139.13, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. The psalmist here speaks of himself as a person while inside the womb, using the personal pronoun for himself for the time that he was inside the womb. And David says in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Note David refers to himself as me. Me at the moment of his conception. The meanness not meanness, but the me-ness of David began at his conception. Next, not only is every human being made by God in his image and endued with the dignity of divine origin, not only does human life begin within the womb at the moment of conception, but we also see from Scripture that the civil magistrate was established by God to punish evildoers, those who carry out criminal activity as defined by his holy law. This begins in Genesis 9. Surely, this is after the flood. Noah comes out. God renews covenant with Noah. 
God says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So God established the civil magistrate here in its earliest forms in in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood and specifically says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For in the image of God he made man. Romans 13 makes it clear, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. God has established the civil magistrate to enforce his law. The civil magistrate does not define what is evil. God's law defines what is evil. The civil magistrate does not define what is criminal activity. God defines what is criminal activity. And in his law, he tells us that murder is a crime and that the shedding of innocent blood is to be brought to justice by the civil magistrate. Going on. To refuse to punish those who spill innocent blood is to bring guilt upon the entire land. God's wrath rests upon a land and people who permit murder of the innocent. Now, this is one of the biblical realities that has most deeply motivated me in my efforts at the State House. Because I do believe that if we, in God's mercy, were to see Him bring to pass laws that honor him in this regard, then blood guilt on our land would be significantly reduced. Now we do know, of course, that we pray that every woman who's tempted to kill her own child would never do that. And so we want to have a culture of life so that abortion mills may close down just because women never go. But if that doesn't change, we can still change the laws. And if those women get people to help them kill their children after the law is changed, then it doesn't necessarily bring blood guilt on the land. Do you see that? Do you understand that? So we want to work in both efforts. It's not an either or. It's in both regards. Seeking to preach the gospel and help men and women see the glory of who God is and the beauty of life in Christ and to love life and hate murder and to see our elected officials tremble before the Son of God and do His will in their capacity as elected officials. Our elected officials failed to do this in our nation for years, even before the ruling of Roe v. Wade. And they've woefully failed since then. And our land is therefore covered up with blood guilt. Every state, every county, every city, without exception, in this land, covered up with blood guilt. America is guilty like the Egyptians and like the Canaanites. Our land has adopted the ordinances. You see that in the text. Our land has adopted the ordinances of the Canaanites the ordinances of the Egyptians. And they're seeking to press those throughout the entire land. Let's look and see at some of the details of how America is like them. Incest is forbidden in verses 6 through 18. The U.S. Department of Justice found this. Authorities estimate incest occurs in over 10% of American families, yet only 20% of these offenses are reported. As you can see, we don't even really know the numbers. How many households? In 2020, there were approximately 128,450,000 families in America. So, if we do the math, the estimate is that 
1,284,500 American families have incest occurring within their families. Unclean sexual habits are brought up in verse 19 with this idea of customary impurity. Uh, Saints of God, there are numerous forms of sexual impurity occurring in America today. I'm not going to mention them to you. They will not be mentioned in today's sermon, but would certainly add to our groaning and our spiritual nausea of what is happening. I will say it seems fitting to bring up the pornography industry here at this point in time. I'm going to give you two uh, lists of startling statistics that I was able to find in regards to pornography. 26 popular children's characters, such as Pokemon, My Little Pony, and Action Man, revealed thousands of links to porn sites, and 30% were hardcore. Nearly 74% of pornography websites surveyed display adult content on their home page, which is accessible to anyone, before asking if viewers are of the legal age, as if there should be a legal age. American children begin consuming hard, hardcore pornography at an average of age 11 years old in America. American children are being destroyed by pornography. Four out of five 16-year-olds regularly access pornography pornography industry is a $97 billion business worldwide. $97 billion. And it is a $13 billion industry in the United States of America. Internet pornography in the United States is a $3 billion industry. Here's some more startling statistics. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to pornography sites. The average, how many Americans are there? What's the total population? About 350 million. You think this is impacting our nation? The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, more than the NBA, and more than Major League Baseball all combined together. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of families in our nation report that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by 300%. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with this within the past 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch it at least once a month. And 57% say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And about 70% say it has adversely impacted the church. I told you I didn't want to give this sermon. Um, we We have to from time to time to stop and look at the reality of the situation that we're in and be moved by God to respond the way that we should. To be moved by God to respond the way that we should. What about adultery? Verse 20, forbidding adultery. According to the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, 15% of married women and 25% of married men have admitted to having extramarital affairs. But other statistics suggest the number may be even higher, higher than that. 
So there were 62,340,000 married couples in 2020. So that's about 9,351,000 women who've committed adultery in America and approximately 15,585,000 men who have committed adultery in America. These, these numbers, they can just kind of just start just bouncing off of us. The divorce rate is between 40 to 50% of all, all marriages in America. The murder of babies we've already discussed this is verse 21. I do uh, think it's beneficial to watch the videos created with the help of Dr. Anthony Levitino. He was a former baby murderer who repented. And with his assistance, uh, this um, organization was initiated and their website, abortionprocedures.com, there are videos that, animated videos that show you what happens to these babies inside the world. Um, it appears when this, mo- this morning when I was putting this together that these videos may have been scrubbed from the internet. You might not be able to find them. But if you can, I've watched them once and the, the concept of vomiting is very real when you watch these things to see what we, what is happening inside the womb in America, which should be the safest place. This is the most dangerous place. Homosexuality, verse 22. Forbidden. Homosexuality is forbidden in the Bible. In a recent survey conducted amongst Americans, so, so is this happening in our land? Right, is, is it happening in our land? 6.4% of females and about 5% of males identified themselves as part of, the, part of the LGBT community. Over recent decades, studies have shown, I don't even like that phrase, LGBT community. It's on its way to death. We have a community here in Christ. That's so sad. Over recent decades, studies have shown that American society has grown more welcoming or accepting to members of this community. However, discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity is still a serious concern in the United States. Do you hear how this website is phrasing this? In 2001, 53% of respondents stated they believed gay or lesbian relations to be morally wrong. But in 2020, this number had fallen to 32%. So only 32% of Americans believe what the Bible teaches, uh, that homosexuality is morally wrong. And the way that this battle is being fought partially is to frame individuals who present the truth about homosexuality as being those who are preaching hatred, preaching uh, dangerously, uh, bullying, threatening, things of that nature. They would use the phrase perhaps discrimination based on sexual orientation to describe biblical teaching. And, and no doubt, there are those who do not respond properly to our fellow human beings who are caught in this sin. And may it never be so of you or me that we would ever act in a sinful fashion in helping those who are caught in this sin. And we'll get to this towards the end of the sermon. 20 states, now bringing it home, 20 states in America have banned conversion therapy for minors. Now what this means is the potential exists that if a parent teaches their child the truth of what the Bible says, then that parent could possibly be brought under examination by these laws, investigated according to these laws. Five states partially banned conversion therapy in America. South Carolina has no law or policy. We should. We should have something in place to defend against this gradual encroachment. Georgia is currently in the federal judicial circuit with a preliminary injunction that uh, currently prevents enforcement of conversion therapy bans. So in Georgia, a law was passed against this. It took them to federal court, and it's currently still being reviewed, and it's under an injunction until that ruling is passed. 
bestiality, verse 23. Research does not consistently give precise rates, but classic studies indicate 5 to 8% of males, 3 to 4% of women. This is in America. Brothers and sisters, America is defiled and doomed to judgment. Does anyone not see how clear that is? Just from the simple research. These sins are abominable to God always and anywhere that they occur. These sins defile any land, not just Israel, not just Canaan, not just Egypt. And these sins call for judgment on any nation where these sins are widespread and promoted and tolerated. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. So was Canaan, was Canaan a, a Christian nation? Was the land of Canaan a, a Christian people? No. But they were still under God's law. They were still judged according to God's law. All nations on earth are judged by the king of the earth. And he is patient. And he is merciful. And he is bearing with us as he has many other nations in the past. Going on. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. So this is what happened to the land of Canaan. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. So even the strangers who came in the land, who were not a member of the church, they were a member of the nation, but they weren't a member of the church, they were still held to this standard. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. So the land can be made sick by any people who break God's law in this fashion. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. So how should we respond to this reality that our land is under this guilt? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, let's not be a part of the problem. Okay? Let's not be a part of the problem. So the first point that I'd like to make in this category is by way of question. Do you understand about yourself that every one of us has a fallen and depraved and sinful flesh that could be attracted to all of the abominations described in this sermon. You know, we, we dress up pretty nice around here. You guys are looking sharp. Okay? Our flesh is a, is a, is a horrible mess. So we need to start here. One way that we can be a part of the problem is to think that somehow... We're not prone to this same sin. Don't, let's don't be a problem that way. Understand that about yourself, about your own sin. Don't underestimate the foulness of your own soul apart from Christ. You see, I think we can be tempted to think, oh, I would never do that. You know, there's some sins I need to be protected from, but I'd never do that. Pride comes before the fall. So, point one about not being part of the problem is that in this manner, we're all the same apart from Christ. All of us would defile this land apart from Christ. Don't be surprised by your own depravity. Don't think 
that somehow in and of ourselves we are keeping from defiling this land, that our feet aren't defiling this land when we walk on it, that our actions can't defile this land when we walk on it. We can. We can. Romans 7 teaches us, Paul teaches us about the nature of the depravity that still dwells within us, even as Christians. It's still in here. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And when you, when you read this text, it's good to remember the specifics of sin that we've just discussed. These are the same sins that any of us could be drawn to. Paul, Peter, every one of the non-divine people that has walked this earth, your flesh, my flesh, can be drawn to these things. So, what do we do? We confess our sin to God. We confess our sin to God. We repent And we walk in newness of life by the power of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we know that He is able to help us. He will strengthen us to walk in newness of life. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. You see, I think especially for the younger ones as you're coming up, you bump into this sin in yourself, whatever it may be. And you can think, that you're the only person on the earth who's ever had that thought or who's ever had that temptation. And you can attack yourself and horribly misunderstand the reality that we all have a depraved, sinful flesh within us. And that Jesus Christ has died to deliver us from every sin that you could ever imagine. Yeah, even that one. Yep, even that one too. Oh, and that one too. Whatever, yep, whatever you just thought of, that one too. But no one's ever done that one too. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ can deliver you from the sins of your flesh. And he will if you confess your sins to him. He will forgive you. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Next, and I've already gotten there. Not only do we need to remember who we are, and, by, and that way we won't become a part of the problem. We won't have this prideful attitude like, oh, we'd never do that. But we confess that we would defile the land apart from Christ. And we confess our sin, and we walk in newness of life, and, and then guess what happens next? We hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for ourselves. That He is indeed the author and the finisher of our faith. And this monster that is within each one of us is nothing compared to our mighty and risen King. His grace is greater than our sin. And we need to have a deeper vision of who He is. You know, if we look at our sin, we get discouraged. Right, we look at one another's sins, we get discouraged. We look at the sin of this world, and we get discouraged. Let's look to God instead. Because if we repent, God will relent. Brothers and sisters, if the United States of America repents, if the church repents, God will relent in the curses that are being poured out upon our land. That is good news to us. 
the creator of all things, who spoke the universe into existence by his mighty power, and who sent his son to die upon the cross for us, has the might to deliver America from its sin. And if America calls out to him, the sin of this nation is nothing compared to the atonement of Jesus Christ. Remember the story of Jonah. What happened with Jonah? Well, he didn't want to go, right? And so God sent him anyways, right? Got swallowed, the fish spit him out. And he went to Nineveh, and his preaching was from one side to the other, and everybody in the nation repented. The whole nation came to Christ and repented. So let's remember that when we think about what God may have for the future of our nation. Jeremiah 18. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Let that fuel our prayers today even. Let this reality fuel, fuel our prayers as we pray together. Atonement cleanses a defiled land. Listen to Deuteronomy 21. If anyone is found slain, lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer, which has not been worked and which is not pulled with a yoke. The elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him to bless in the name of the Lord. By their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. Then they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So, as we look to the future and we desire, we long, we cry out to God to bring atonement for the blood guilt that is on our land, we need to pray for our civil leaders, pray for our church leaders, and pray for the people of our, under, of our land to understand how serious innocent blood is. And yet, when we work together in this situation, God can bring atonement and lift the guilt of innocent bloodshed from that land. There is a way, even in cases of unsolved murders, for there not to be innocent bloodshed, innocent blood guilt on the land. Next, please weep for our nation. There's a lot of things that we've seen today that should give you that spiritual nausea that sense that we discussed at the beginning with David, with his ears, ears, his eyes running like rivers of tears. And the zeal that he felt with the law of God being ignored and Ezra crying and bowing down before God. May this be true of us as well. Use lamentations as a prayer guide. You know, Jeremiah, use lamentations as a prayer guide. For these things I weep, my eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. In addition to praying for our nation, fast for our nation. Take a look at your schedule and consider when you will choose to not eat. There's other things we can fast from, but, from specific, but specifically what's being mentioned in Scripture in conjunction with prayer is almost always food. Leave off food for a time and devote yourself to weeping and praying for 
for our land. Put your political privileges to use. God has still given us political privileges. Put them to use. There are rights that we still have to where we can express the truth of God in the public square. We can express the views that we hold from Scripture in how we choose to vote and in our communications with our elected officials. Put your political privileges to work. Come to understand, study and understand biblical protest. We can choose to submit to some ungodly laws, but are we allowed to submit silently? Look into biblical protest and how to have your voice lifted up in the public square properly according to God's ways. I've actually looked for an organization devoted to biblical protest and I can't find one that's been put together specifically with a scriptural study, a a focused study on what it means to protest biblically. Promote the truth in the public square. Support godly pro-life, anti-porn, pro-law groups with your prayer and with your money. Promote the truth in the public square. Don't allow shame to silence you. Evangelism is always important, but it is ever critical in a time like today. Go out of your doors and present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as often as you can. Know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know the Word of God about sin, about judgment, about Christ's atonement, and revel in the salvation that is yours and go out and always be ready to present the Gospel everywhere you go. Believe in the power of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when it leaves your lips. Believe in the power of the Holy Spirit of God to anoint your words, to plow that heart before you speak the gospel. Be an evangelist. I've said it already, and this sermon is a part of this. Use the freedoms that we still have in a godly fashion to promote the truth, to demonstrate the the glory and the beauty of biblical marriage and biblical families and biblical communities and biblical life and oppose those things that are false, that are being presented in our world that are contrary to God's Word. Be a soldier in this battle by presenting the glory of the truth and how you walk in the newness of life in this way and by also resisting and opposing these lies that are harmful to your neighbors, that dishonor God. Be in the battle. Do not be silent. Amen? Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, as we peer into the depths of human depravity, we do experience this spiritual nausea, this deep unsettling of the soul, Father. And we know that all of our sin was placed on Christ and that no one has experienced the pain and the darkness of soul associated with sin like Jesus did upon that cross. And we rejoice that He became defiled for us and that You poured out Your wrath upon Him so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Oh God, thank You. We rejoice that Jesus has shed His precious blood and that we have been cleansed of our sins and that we can indeed rise up in newness of life each day and walk according to Your Spirit. 
Guide us, we ask, through the remainder of this time of worship. That we would cry out to you during our time of prayer. And that we would be filled with the hope of the gospel. And the certainty of mind and spirit. That you, Lord Jesus Christ, in your might, in your power. In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God from the throne of the Father and the Son. Coming forth in this earth. You are greater than all of our sins. You are greater than all of the combined forces of darkness in this earth. And we hope in your gospel. And we hope in your kingdom. And we trust in the destruction, the certain coming destruction of your enemies. Oh God, bless us, we pray, to be filled with faith and hope as we go forth in this worship service. In Jesus' name.